This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. He says it is the military's conviction that we will soon see a true civilian government established in Sudan that will fulfill the aspirations and ambitions of the Sudanese people towards a free, just and peaceful state. That's uh, the translation of Sudan's Army Chief General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan on the military's vow to place itself under a civilian government. Details coming up. Also, China's new foreign minister is starting a week-long trip to Africa today. Bus crashes in Senegal and Uganda killed 60 people. And 46 Ivory Coast soldiers arrived home after being held in Mali for six months. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Sudan's ruling military has vowed the army will come under civilian authority as the two sides hammer out a final agreement on a two-year transitional government before elections. Michael Atit reports from Khartoum, Sudan. Three days of talks between military and civilian leaders continued Monday with the aim of reaching a final deal on governing during a two-year transition to elections. The spokesman for the civilian side, Khalid Omar Youssef, addressed the media Monday at a press conference in Khartoum, broadcast by the state-run Sudan News Agency. He says this is an opportunity for all Sudanese to engage and cooperate with the regional and international community to achieve the high national interest of the country. At a launch of the final phase of the political process Sunday, Sudan's Army Chief General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan repeated the military's vow to place itself under a civilian government. His speech was also broadcast by Sudan's state news agency. He says it is the military's conviction that we will soon see a true civilian government established in Sudan that will fulfill the aspirations and ambitions of the Sudanese people towards a free, just and peaceful state. The army chief gave no details on when the military will step aside, but said it would keep its word to leave politics. He also applauded efforts by regional and international partners to help end Sudan's political crisis. Al-Burhan overthrew a transitional civilian government led by former Prime Minister Abdul Hamdok in October 2021, citing lack of attention to alleged threats. The coup came just weeks before the military was to hand power to civilian authorities, sparking international condemnation and withdrawal of foreign aid. Sudan's pro-democracy groups have staged near-weekly protests ever since, demanding the military step down. Security forces have frequently clashed with the protesters, leaving scores dead, almost all of them protesters. The African Union, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development and the UN, known as the Trilateral Mechanism, have been mediating in Sudan with the aim of breaking the deadlock. The talks are expected to include reforming Sudan's security forces. Michael Latid for VOA News, Khartoum, Sudan. 
China's new foreign minister is starting a week-long trip to Africa today. The Associated Press' Kin Gong, who was appointed on December 30, will go to Ethiopia, Gabon, Angola, Benin, and Egypt. China's foreign ministry says that while he is in Egypt, he will also meet with the Secretary General of the Arab League. The news service notes that China has sent its new foreign ministers first to Africa for more than three decades. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin says the practice shows that China attaches great importance to the traditional friendship with Africa and the development of China-Africa relations. China has major investments in infrastructure and mining projects on the continent. Kin was previously the ambassador to the United States. Republican Kevin McCartney was finally elected as Speaker of the House of Representatives following a grueling battle over several days to secure votes. We have on the phone Catherine Gibson, VOA Capital here correspondent, standing by to update us on the situation. Welcome to African News tonight, Catherine. Good to be with you. So, how did、uh, Mr. McCarthy finally accomplish his goal after struggling? What, fifteen ballots? Fifteen rounds. That's right. And you know that fourteenth round, the final one where he thought he had enough votes, but at the very last moment, Florida Republican Matt Gaetz turned his vote to a present vote, which, in the very complicated math of the Speaker of the House vote, meant. That Kevin McCarthy did not have the 218, the majority needed to get that speakership. So we saw some very dramatic scenes on the House floor. You know, apart from January 6, 2021, the attack on the U.S. Capitol, some of the most dramatic scenes I've ever seen in the U.S. Congress. When you actually saw the deal making taking place, Kevin McCarthy walking up to Matt Gates. Telling him, you know, I will give you this and this and this in return for your vote. You saw very frustrated Republicans almost coming to blows on the House floor, while Democrats looked on in amusement. It was quite a scene to see the inner workings of the U.S. government right out for display. Who are the holdouts?、Um, uh, like, are they these uh, uh, very hardline conservatives? They certainly are. Most of them are part of something called the House Freedom Caucus, which has been really a problem for Republican leadership over the past six to seven years since John Boehner and Paul Ryan were in leadership positions. They really are standing their ground on firm conservative values. They argue that the U.S. government has gotten too big. Too out of control, and that quite simply, a lot of the laws that are being passed in the U.S. House of Representatives are just being rubber stamped. That there's not any real debate or discussion about a lot of the spending, a lot of the priorities that end up getting passed. So they do have an argument in terms of saying, "Look, American democracy has gotten very far away from its roots, and our mission is to bring it back and have people have." An informed discussion about where our money is going, where our priorities lie. So,、uh, Catherine, just uh, uh, give us a, a sample of what maybe, like, what the concessions were, and could some of the concessions Mr. McCarthy made、uh, come back to bite him? 
Oh, most certainly. You know, all this proved is that the conservative House Freedom Caucus has power over Kevin McCarthy. And we're going to be seeing a whole new round of battles Monday night in Washington, D.C., when they try to pass the rules package, which really sounds very dull, but actually is incredibly important because those are the rules that govern how the U.S. House of Representatives functions for the next two years. There is a lot of power to be had in deciding what bills come up to the House floor, how they come up to the House floor, what committees do and when. All of that is going to be out for display Monday night, and I expect to see the Conservative Freedom Caucus really fighting Kevin McCarthy on this one. It'll also tell us what deals Kevin McCarthy made to get those votes so that he could become speaker. So we are far from over here in Washington. VOA Capitol Hill correspondent Catherine Gibson, thank you for your input. So welcome. Cheers greeted 46 Ivory Coast soldiers as they arrived home after being held in Mali for six months. The military junta in Bamako called them mercenaries and arrested them in July as they landed in the capital to assist UN peacekeepers. The government said the men were hired by the private company Sahelian Aviation Services. The Associated Press says they were pardoned last week after they had been sentenced to 20 years in prison for undermining state security. Three other defendants, all women, were released in September. Mali's government spokesman said the decision to pardon the troops demonstrated the administration's commitment to peace, dialogue, pan-Africanism and the preservation of fraternal relations with regional countries, in particular Ivory Coast. Mali has been fighting an Islamic insurgency for 10 years. Ivory Coast and several other countries have decided to withdraw from Mali after the government decided to collaborate with Russian-backed mercenaries of the Wagner Group. Millions of children in the Horn of Africa are suffering from dire drought conditions, including many with severe malnutrition. UNICEF says the number has doubled in just five months to 20.2 million, citing conflicts, climate change, and global inflation. For more on the threats to children in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia, VOA's Carol Van Dam spoke with Laiki Van de Wiel, UNICEF's Deputy Regional Director for Eastern and Southern Africa, who says the agency has long been working in the Horn to help malnourished children recover, but this kind of drought is unprecedented. We saw a deterioration in the last six months, and uh, right now we have around 20 million plus children uh, facing threat of hunger, thirst, and and other diseases uh, because of the drought and the secondary impact uh, that a long-lasting drought has had on those children in the Horn of Africa. What is UNICEF doing in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia to alleviate severe hunger and thirst there? Yeah, we are doing a lot. Uh, Of course, more needs to be done. Uh, But we've been working in these countries for uh, many decades And we've had programs all along to ensure that those children were uh, receiving basic services and health and uh, that they had enough food and and water and clean water, schooling and learning. Uh, But because of the drought, we've seen many uh, families uprooting themselves, looking for water, looking for more livelihoods because the livelihoods uh, are destroyed. 
Uh, and our response, therefore, has to be adjusted to ensure that those uh, uprooted families and children that face now hunger and, and more diseases are being uh, catered for. So we do a lot of acute malnutrition uh, treatment. So when children are really very malnourished, especially the youngest one, that's absolutely dangerous. Uh, we help them in getting ready to use therapeutic food. And they will then uh, recover uh, and outside the danger zone so they can go home and then survive on a normal diet. Uh, but of course, the normal diets are not normal in these types of, uh, of droughts. Uh, so UNICEF is also helping with many UN partners and other partners to ensure that uh, families have a decent uh, diet. You know, you say this kind of these kinds of droughts. This one seems like it's been going on for a long time, more than six months, right? So that's kind of unprecedented. Yeah, this one has been absolutely um, very uh, powerful and, 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 and sad because this is uh, we're going to the sixth rainy season that might fail. So we're talking about uh, the worst in 40 years. And this has been accumulating because the first rainy season that doesn't work, uh, of course, is still manageable. But we're going towards the six. So it gets harder and harder for those uh, families and communities to be resilient. And also the time that they've been uprooted. When you think about that, sometimes it's, I would imagine it's permanent when these people are displaced for six months or more uh, with their children. It, do they often not come back to their homes? Yeah. No, that's a very good question. And there you can also see that, of course, such drought is not reversible anymore. I mean, there's environmental degradation. Uh, so uh, if there's a real big drought and, and the crops are not working um, and, of course, uh, the cattle uh, can't be fed or uh, there's no water, uh, then it's not a possibility for those families to go back and uh, create a new livelihood. And, and that is something that the climate crisis has shown us, uh, that it's not so easy to bounce back because once a drought has really settled in, and there's nothing to bounce back from. The environmental degradation is tremendous. That was Laiki van der Weyl, UNICEF Deputy Regional Director for Eastern and Southern Africa. She was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from Nairobi, Kenya. You're listening to African News Tonight, live on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyis Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. While Algeria conducted a counter-terrorism military exercise in November with Russia, President Abdelmajid Taboun urged Mali's military council to drop the services of the Russian private military firm Wagner Group. Instead, he said, Mali should invest in the economy while restoring peace should pass to Algeria. William Lawrence, professor of international relations at the American University in Washington, explained the Algerian position to VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi. 
it's very, very significant on many levels. Um, first of all, it's rooted in that same Algerian sovereignism and sort of an ironic or complex sovereignism that says the West and the international community should and anyone else should not interfere in African issues, but Algeria should. And so that's sort of complicated. There's also a really complicated relationship of that issue to the Russian interventions in Africa, because Algeria has a strong relationship with Russia and occasionally works with Russia, including in helping the Wagner group get to Mali in the first place because they had to fly over Algeria. But on the other hand, Algeria is completely opposed to the Russians having these long-standing relationships because of its sovereignist position. And when Lavrov visited Algeria many months ago and they met about Ukraine, the readouts were really interesting because Lavrov was saying he respected the Algerian position, not that he agreed with it. And the Algerian position was basically however much we agree with Russia's opposition or balancing of the West. We don't agree that Ukraine should be sacrificed over this issue. Again, it's a complicated application of its own sovereignist principles. Algeria is also making messages to Mali and to Africa, saying even though Russia and China often position themselves as anti-imperialist powers, as they did during the Cold War and since the Cold War, and you'll often hear Africans sort of praising Russian and Chinese positions as pro-global South or anti-Western imperialism, you know, Algeria is suggesting that Russia and China can be imperialistic too, that they can be interventionist too. He's also right that investment in the economy is a huge part of the Malian solution, but he doesn't get into the governance issues, which is very much connected to the economic issues that haven't been solved either by Malian governments or by their supporters, whether Russian or otherwise, or by the Algerian mediations. So to say that restoring peace in Mali should only pass through Algeria isn't entirely true because what the Algerian have shown they're good at doing is doing the mediations, but not good at the follow through on the mediations. And that's why the French put troops in. That's why the other countries that help Mali have to go in to help implement the Algerian mediated agreements. Um, Algeria cannot do it on its own. How could that call against Wagner Group impact Algerian close relations with Russia? This goes back to the Libya issue, which Wagner right now is, has transferred a bunch of their troops back to Ukraine and they're fighting the most vicious battle on the front lines in the Ukrainian conflict. But those were troops in part transferred out of Libya, where a sort of skeletal version of those troops are, are holding the line in Libya. And again, Algeria is opposed to the Wagner Group doing that and was not only opposed to the Western intervention in Libya in 2011, but is increasingly opposed to the Russian intervention, not only in Libya and not only in Mali, but anywhere in Africa. I think Wagner has now at various times put troops on the ground in as many as 16 African countries. The Wagner troops often act as Praetorian guards, protecting presidents and pushtists from popular actions against their power grabs. And that's not exactly how the Russians sell it as stabilizing forces. Even worse, there are often mineral for Wagner mercenary swaps in which a country gives up some of its rights to its mineral wealth in exchange for these Russian mercenaries protecting their regimes, which is not really a way to develop the African continent either. So not only is Algeria sort of in a philosophically complicated position right now and a little bit of a shifting of its position a little more towards Ukraine, but Algeria's whole philosophy is called into question now because you can't only oppose Western intervention interventionism without understanding that the Chinese and Russian replacements are generally not improvements. And that in the end, Africa helping itself doesn't mean kicking all the foreigners out, nor does it mean welcoming all the foreigners in to do what they 
want. It means cooperating internationally with all the international countries in a way that improves the African space and improves African governance rather than making it worse, which is what the Russians are doing. That was William Lawrence, Professor of International Relations at the American University in Washington, speaking with VOA, Mohammed Al-Shinawi. Cameroon's second largest employer, the state-run Cameroon Development Corporation, is urging thousands of plantation workers who fled the country's separatist conflict to return to work. About half the company's 20,000 workers left in 2018 over unpaid wages and after deadly and brutal attacks. The company last week said it was safe to return, but workers are skeptical and say it should first rebuild homes destroyed or damaged in the conflict. Kinzeka reports from Bueo, Cameroon. The Cameroon Development Corporation of CDC says it wants thousands of workers back at banana, palm oil, and rubber plantations in the restive southwest region. Managers of the state-run giant, Cameroon's second largest employer on Monday, visited towns and villages in the region to meet with workers who fled unrest in 2018 and asked them to return. Cameroon Agricultural and Allied Workers Trade Union President Gabriel Menge Vefongi was part of the delegation. He says the corporation has promised to pay back wages to those workers who return. Most of them are doing mean jobs in many areas of this country. So we are calling them to come back. Security is being guaranteed by the state. And we have seen in the last six months there is relative calm. For those who had wounds, we think that the wounds have healed and the CDC management is taking care of them. Our members should come back to work. Cameroon's military says it has chased the rebels from the plantations which armed groups used for training camps. In 2018, the rebels ordered workers to leave the plantations and warned that those who refused would be attacked. Authorities say the armed groups chopped off fingers of scores of workers suspected of collaborating with the government and torched hundreds of homes, schools, and factories. William Lekunja, a worker at a plantation in Mianja, says he escaped in 2018. He says he will only return if the company improves work and living conditions in villages damaged in the conflict. They cannot eat well because what they have is too meager. Others who have gone there came back with testimonies. Their hospital bills are paid by themselves. There's no good housing for them, no good water for them. Cameroon's government says some of the company's former workers are owed more than two years back pay. The company has vowed to pay back wages but says the conflict and exodus of workers led to a massive drop in production and sales. The government says sales and revenue increased after about 2,000 workers returned in 2021 and 2022. CDC General Manager Franklin Gonin-Gier says if the remaining 8,000 workers return, the company's sales will return to previous levels. 
He says they would then be able to afford paying back salaries and reconstructing destroyed buildings. The solution is getting back to work, working and making money, money to help pay wages. To pay those who are working, just salaries alone cost the corporation about 900 million francs. It is difficult to get that amount of money. But that notwithstanding, we try to do what must be done to continue to operate. Cameroon's separatist conflict was sparked in 2016 when English-speaking Western regions protested discrimination by the country's French-speaking majority. Cameroon's military responded with a crackdown and rebels took up arms claiming to defend the English-speaking minority. The UN says the conflict has since left 3,500 people dead and 750,000 displaced. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Boya, Cameroon. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Nicole Beckford, and our engineer, Al Santos, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.